Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us, and uh, this is a portion of our podcast ministry where we break down uh, this week's sermon audio, and so we want to start by saying if you haven't listened to this last week's uh, sermon audio, uh, go to the podcast episode right before this, and you can listen to the message because that's what we're talking about. So make sure you've done that. If you'd rather watch a video, you can see that at our YouTube channel. If you search Evangelical Free Church of Canton on YouTube, you'll find our page there and uh, find all the most recent messages uh, through that avenue as well. And uh, as usual, we want to encourage you, engage with us, uh, send us an email, let us know if there's specific things you'd like us to talk about, because our goal in this is to equip the, the church for the work of ministry and to be able to encourage people with uh, just a deeper dive into Scripture. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, we are in the third week of this series on prayer, where we've been uh, really studying and asking that the Lord would teach us to pray according to what His Word says. And we are on this journey, and this last week we talked specifically about uh, praying in distress and answering the question, how do I pray uh, when I am in distress? And this is not a foreign concept as far as being distressed, but whether we realize it or not, we're pretty terrible at knowing how to function when we are in those frames of mind. And it's really common that we get on the other side of that and we start thinking, and I wish I would have responded better. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have known this before I entered into that scenario or situation. And so one of the best ways that we can grow to cope with hard circumstances, challenging circumstances, is to know ahead of time and prepare ourselves ahead of time and practice ahead of time so that when we're in the midst of those, we're not trying to think of additional things to do. So at the very beginning of this last week's message, I gave uh, uh, several statistics uh, dealing with mental illness, dealing with mental struggles, and I just want to reference that all of those statistics came from a report that was put out by uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, More specifically, these were results from a 2020 survey on drug use and health. So just to give you a timeline of that, This is all coming from that data that was collected at that timeline. And I think that's valuable for people to know just from the standpoint of sometimes we hear statistics and rightfully we should call into question where those statistics coming from because the reality is statistics can be helpful but they can also be harmful in how they portray data. And so we have to be cautious about that. Um, But just to reiterate those statistics briefly here, and the goal of this is to brief – uh, to to bring about the reality of a need. And so when we think about this is the issue, why are we talking about how do we pray in distress? Well, I believe these statistics are one thing that reveal a lot about the amount of people who are in distressing situations on a consistent basis. So those are, number one, one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. 
that's one in five. So you think about that. Uh, however many people are in your general circles, uh, you can figure out how many roughly uh, there's an estimated number of people there that are struggling with just general mental illness. Okay, And one in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. And we could go into a lot more detail on what's the difference between uh, just mental illness and serious mental illness um, and and talk a little bit about that. Um, one in six U.S. youth aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. Okay, One in six youth. Um, 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Now, one thing I want to note anytime we hear a statistic like that, we need to understand this is based in the people that are surveyed. And when it comes to mental struggle or mental health, the general consensus is that there is a whole lot of people that aren't actually being honest about where they're at. So these numbers are probably significantly less than what we would actually genuinely see. Um, but it still paints a grim picture. And then the final one on here is that suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. Now, that's important. The last part of that is age 10 to 34. So if you get up into the older ages, then uh, it moves down. And I think if you go that, if you were to look up the uh, leading causes of death across the board, um, suicide falls much lower in that when you go all age ranges from birth through old age. But just people age 10 to 34, it's the second leading cause of death. So we, when we think about that, we think of people that are in distress, and there's a lot. There's a lot of them. So um, this, is, this, this kind of highlights uh, this hard reality that every one of us at some level has experienced distress or anxiety or anguish or grief at some point. And one of the big mistakes that we make is assuming, and I said this on Sunday, one of the big mistakes we make is assuming that God only wants our best. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I would say that those statistics show that we have a desperate need for God in our lives. Yeah, I would agree with that. Why would you say that? Without him, we can't have peace. Um, we can't understand the truth about reality of our sin. Um, but I'm not saying that knowing God is going to remove any of these statistics by any Correct. means. <clears throat> um, but it equips us to better handle those things. Yeah. Especially not just for ourselves, like if we're the ones struggling with mental illness, but it equips us to help others who are struggling. Um, it gives us that that true humble understanding of what it is to model that meekness of Christ. Yeah. And I want to I want to make sure and clarify too, you know, we believe pretty strongly there's a difference between a mental illness and mental crisis. And the difference being that we firmly believe that there are individuals who absolutely need the assistance of medication to help balance out uh hormones and uh, how your brain fires, and those would be categorized under mental illness, where you genuinely need help. You you need help beyond just uh, uh, a, a friend to come alongside of you. Uh, you need help beyond just uh, acknowledging that maybe you struggle in in your thoughts a little bit. But then there's a whole other category of people that 
all of us fall into at some given time where in a moment or a circum in a circumstance we experience an intense shift of uh kind of mental crisis where we have some anxiety or we start to spiral and our thoughts aren't clear and we react emotionally rather than uh with logic um so i th- it's important that we distinguish between uh just mental illness that needs uh oftentimes uh, professional intervention and mental crisis, which often is a place where we need desperate community and we need other people to come alongside and remind us where we can find lasting hope and comfort and peace. And um, speaking broadly in either of those situations, uh, it's it's easy for us to lose sight of what do I do when I'm in this frame of thought. Or in this frame of mind. And ultimately, where this becomes a problem in our spiritual lives is there are so many... I've encountered this so much. Where someone will come to me and they'll say they'll make a comment like, um, well, the, the, the walls of the church would fall in if I stepped into the building. Ah, wrong. Or... Uh, I, you know what, I'm just trying to get my life together and, well, you know, when I get in a better spot, then, then you know, maybe I can pursue this spiritual thing. Or uh, all of these entities, and what it focuses on is this really unhealthy assumption that I can't come to God until I have my stuff together. And when I have my stuff together, then then I could come to God and have confidence that I'm okay. But until then, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. We even see this portrayed in movies or TV shows where someone's standing outside of a church and they maybe start to go in, but they're just like, "No, I can't do it," as if God lives in the building of the church and their lack of holiness uh, prevents them from coming before God at all. Yeah, if you, if you wait until you think you are ready, you'll never be ready. To um, to seek out God and to to even come to church or anything. And that reminded me um, of Paul in First Corinthians two fourteen through sixteen, where he said, "The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one." For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so you you don't get that on your own. You can't do any of that on your own. You have to go to God to get that. And waiting and making excuses saying, well, I'm just not ready or I'm not in the right place right now. Nobody is in the right place. We're all, as I think it's in Ephesians, Paul says, we're in darkness. Our hearts are dark. We can't get that without Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the light of the world. We need that light to illuminate us. And so I'd urge you to seek God and then seek changing yourself and preparing yourself. Yeah. And and so that's really the focus is how do I do that? How do I seek the Lord, especially if I'm in a place of distress or I just can't think clearly? Where do I start? What do I do? And we're looking at the Psalms for that. And there's three Psalms you're going to hear me reference. Um, if, if you went back and listened to the message, you will have heard those. Um, Psalm 77, Psalm 86, Psalm 143. 
Uh, I picked these psalms just simply because of uh, their consistency, and uh, you could you could find the same consistency in many other psalms. These are not the only three that we could highlight and say this is the pattern that we should use when we're in distress. These are just three that do a really good job of bringing out those these three elements and and um, highlighting uh, a psalmist writing this in the midst of turmoil. And so we want to reference scripture where we see people in turmoil to learn uh, from the inspired word of God, what what should I do when I'm in a similar position? Um, and so the, the really the main idea of this whole text, uh, of this whole this whole message is when I'm in distress, um, there there's uh, th- this is what I should do: seek the Lord with honesty, fixating on who He is, what He has done, and what He has promised. That so at the end of all of this. You're going to just hear me reiterate that because I believe that's what we see Scripture reveal should be the response of the follower of Christ in order to root themselves back into a reality that is uh, is, is is firm on a foundation uh, where God is the center of that outside of trying to just figure these things out on my own. Yeah, and to give a little bit of a background on, on what the book of Psalms is... Um, it's technically, there's 150 Psalms, and they're broken down into five books, mm-hmm. which corresponds to the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, also known as Pentateuch. Um, and so this was kind of set up as a similarity to that. So the first five books, they often call it the Law. Um, and now this is the Psalms, and it's the, the books of prayer. Um, prayers, hymns, things like that. So I, pretty much everything in the Psalms that you'll find is a form of a prayer or a hymn. Um, there's some prophecy and stuff in there, too, mixed in, and a little bit of poetry. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it, it's a book a book of prayers, a collection of five books of prayers. So, Yeah, and understanding this, too, that uh, it was very common for this to be the songbook that they would refer to, and not all there's some misconceptions that each each of the psalms is written by David. There is a lot of psalms written by David, mm-hmm. but in fact, um, the very first psalm that uh, I'm going to reference in Psalm 77 is written by a guy named Asaph. And if you have uh, if you have cross references in your Bible, you'll be able to kind of track where we see Asaph show up at first, and it's in Kings, um, where we see Asaph as one of the people appointed to be a songwriter uh, within the kingdom. And so uh, this is this was not just a task that was reserved to one person, but was uh, uh, God used a, a, a grouping of people really to write these. And some of them we don't have a, a specific as to who wrote it. And so understanding that that uh, unlike some of the New Testament books where we clearly can define who is the author or the writer of that, um, we won't have that in some of these Psalms, and that's okay. Um, because the amazing truth is you see a consistency across these, even though it was various people who were writing them, uh, the theology and the central focus comes back to where it should be. Um, so the first, really the first thing, so when I'm in distress, praying uh, to be honest about our circumstances, this might seem like a duh answer, but this is really hard for most of us. Uh, it's hard for us to be honest with each other, let alone God. And... Um, I've seen this. I see this in our 
in my own life, where it's way easier just to have our prayer life be kind of a box we check, where we praise God for what we have, we thank Him for the many blessings in our life, and we even have a routine as far as when we pray. So we pray at each meal, we might pray in the morning, we might pray right before we go to bed. And what I found is generally it's the same thing. Like there are people I know that every time I'm there, like if we go to dinner at their house, they pray the same prayer (laughs) at every single meal. It doesn't matter what season it is. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't, (laughs) it's the same thing. And, uh, that is really common, which I'm not saying that is bad in and of itself, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Because generally what happens is we get accustomed to praying in a certain way and we stop praying about other things. Or we just stop praying altogether. And that's a really dangerous place to be in. Yeah. And I, I coming from a Catholic background, I totally understand that repetitious prayer that's just repeated over and over again. And to me, when I broke that cycle... Boy, it felt great because it was like now I'm communicating with God. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like we're actually having a conversation. And in my own prayer life, um, I find myself doing what you were talking about where I try to hide things. And I'll I'll start a prayer and I'll be like, "Mm, you know what, God don't really want to hear about that. Not realizing the entire time, God already knows about it. So trying to hide it is pointless. You might as well acknowledge it, get past it, and move on. You know, And it's something that... It makes you feel so much better. I mean, how many times have you had conversations in your life that, you know, you're like, whew, I'm glad that I got that off my chest. It's even better when you do that before the Lord. Yeah. Well, and think about how 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 terrible of a relationship we would have if – I love thinking in terms of, like, if I, if I treated my relationship with other people like I do my relationship with God, what would that look like? Like – all right, we sit down. We sit down at the dinner table, and <laughs> hello, Matt. It's me, Caden. Nice to eat with you again. Thanks for this meal. Well, I'm thinking like if if it were if it were like you and me, every time we get together, Caden, I just thank you for your friendship. I thank you so much for your help and everything that you do. I thank you. If that's but if every time we get together, I say the same thing like that. Oh, I'd get so annoyed. You wouldn't want to have you no. want to spend time with me. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> and thankfully, we serve a gracious God who is not finite and who is not emotionally driven like we are as people. So He's very patient and long suffering. <laughs> Slow to anger and about (laughs) in steadfast love and faithfulness. But we have to stop and consider what is our role in growing and desiring a a greater relationship with the Lord. And sometimes I think people uh, feel that God is absent from their circumstances when in reality they have not been honest about their circumstances. And that's a that's a big issue. So, as an example, this Psalm seventy seven, verses two through nine, this is probably the most powerful example of a psalmist just being honest about where they're at. And I resonate with so much of this. Where Psalm seventy seven, starting in verse two, it says, "In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints." You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. 
I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And this is what the fleshly spirit of this individual brought about. The questions asked, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I think many people would resonate with some of these feelings, but do we actually vocalize them? Do we actually say that? I think many people feel guilty when they feel that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, When I was really revamping my prayer life, um, Psalm 77 was one that I'd come across that really got to me, and I was like, man, you can see just the raw emotion there. And um, another one of my favorites, you guys should probably look it up, is Psalm 13. I mean, I'll just read just the first line. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Like, that... When yeah. you when you ask that to God, I mean, think about this. You are before Almighty God, and you say something like that to Him. I mean, that's deep. That's coming from the depths of your soul. Yeah. And we see that here in 77. I mean, it's just so raw. And when I was, you know, like I said, when I was revamping my prayer life and I started to pray in that manner using the Psalms, it really changed my perspective on things. It just... It, it's so hard to explain and put into words exactly what it did. It was just try it. <laughs> Let's just go, yeah. just just do it. Well, and I th- I think what it comes down to is if we believe God is all knowing, He already knows where you're at. But in the same way that I, I can I can generally tell when my kids are having a rough day, or when my spouse is having a rough day, I may even know what's causing them to have a rough day. I still want to hear from them about it because I care about them mm-hmm. and I want to be present with them but they have to in a lot of senses allow me to be present with them even if I'm in the same room you can be in the same room as someone and then completely deny your presence in that moment oh that is frustrating yes if, if you have not had that happen ever you've, you're probably either one not married or not been married very long because that that happens in almost every marriage where you get into a struggle or an argument and it's just you're angry at each other and you're sitting there just looking at each other and just ignoring each other at the same time mm. and that that is a rough feeling. Mm. So so really the the main emphasis here some of us have gotten so used to hiding how we really are that we've convinced ourselves we can hide from God when it comes to that. And then we get mad when God doesn't seem to come through and make our situations easier. But reality is, you haven't even gone to the Lord to begin with and been honest about your circumstances. Be, be okay with being frustrated with God. Be okay with struggling with where you're at, God, and vocalize it. Like when you're driving home from work and you had a bad day, be honest with the Lord. Say, God, I'm really, I'm really angry right now. I'm I am hurting right now, Lord. Where are you in this moment? Be honest and transparent. But here's the key: don't stop there. Don't don't end on that note. And that's the other thing we're guilty of doing: is maybe we do come to the Lord when we're in a moment of distress and we cry out for help. But that's all we do: is we say to God, "I'm angry with you, or I'm frustrated with life, or this is not fun. I don't understand why you've put me in this position." And that's where we end. Mm-hmm. We stop there, and that's only the first step. And so the second piece of this is 
Don't just be honest. But next, fixate on who God is. Fixate on who He is already. And the the next portion of this in Psalm 77 that I want to read. Uh, verse 10, it says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. When was the last time you stopped and just sat and considered who God is? And reminded yourself of just how magnificent and powerful and knowing and yet gracious and faithful and loving God is. And we need to be honest with him. But within our honesty, we also need to stop and remind the fleshly part of ourselves who our God is. Because if we don't remind ourselves of that, then we're destined to just follow our flesh down a really selfish path that's going to end up in destruction. It just is. Psalm 86, 5 through 10 uh, emphasizes this even further. It says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for an answer. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So, once again, you need to be able to answer the question, and we talked about this last week, but that which you run to first in the midst of hardship is what you really worship. Whatever you turn to, for a coping mechanism, that that really is your little G-God. And if that's you turn to just relationships to solve your problems, if you turn to uh, substances, and when I say substances, I mean that broadly. Substances isn't just alcohol and drugs. It's food. It is uh, any any substance that you would use to numb or temporarily give you comfort or peace. Um, whatever that is, you need to be able to identify what you are prone to turn to most and then be able to stop and in the midst of your honest assessment of where you're at, like I'm miserable, to then force yourself to meditate on the truths of who God is and to respond accordingly. And here's why that's important. Our number one response in times of distress is to fixate on where we are and how we feel. And if your security is rooted in how you feel at any given time, you're in big trouble. Because you must have your feet planted on something far firmer than your thoughts or your feelings. You have to. Yeah, and I and I think that the psalmist follows that up perfectly in verse 11 with, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's that's where we got to find our comfort. That's where we got to find that peace. That's where we need to go in that moment of distress. You know, like you were just saying with, you know, people, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, food, or whatever, the pleasure or passion, we need to shift from that and root into God. And we do that through prayer and through reading his word. All the instructions are right here in black and white for us. Some of them are in red, if you've got a red letter Bible. But everything that we need that is sufficient and helping us down that path is right there in God's word. It's so clear. Yeah, and that really segues into that final portion of this that was mentioned in the message, and that is um, don't just be honest, don't just fixate on who God is, but then seek what God has already promised to give. And the thing I love about this is we can pray with certainty. So many people, prayer is this abstract thing that we kind of just hope we'll say something and like, oh, I hope he listens to me this time, or I hope he answers the way I want him to this time. I almost like the same thing as a kid sitting on Santa's lap. Like, I'm going to ask for this Christmas item, and oh, I just hope I get it this year. You know, I, I maybe I've asked for this the last two years. I haven't gotten it, but I'm going to ask it again because, you know, I, and I hope he listens this time. The problem with that is, uh, you, you're, if you're only ever asking for the things that you're not certain about that God will do, you're perpetually going to be spinning in this circle of wondering, does God actually hear us? Is he actually God? You know, Does he actually exist? The difference is, if I can focus in on praying in light of what he has already promised to do, then all of a sudden I see my faith intersect with who God already is and what he has planned and purposed. And that's transformational. So example of that in Psalm 143, verse 8. It says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And you might go, well, where's the promise of God in that? Well, it's directly tied to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so when the psalmist says, in you I trust, make me know the way I should go for to you I lift up my soul. God has promised to make you know the way you should go. But you also need to be aware that the way you should go may already be right in front of you. You just haven't seen it. And one of my favorite statements is the will of God is the word of God. And if you are not already living out in light of the word of God, then don't don't start searching for the will of God anywhere else. Start by immersing yourself into the word of God in which he's already revealed his will to you. You just actually have to go get it. Now, one thing I, I want to say is, does this mean that we should only ever pray for the things we're certain of? No. It's not. I, I believe that we should absolutely pray for the things we're not certain of. And the reason I say that is Jesus did that. Jesus in John 17, and we'll, we're going to highlight the high priestly prayer in John 17 in a message in a couple of weeks. Um, Jesus prayed and said, uh, Father, if, it, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Speaking about what he was about to do in giving his life. Um, but then he turns in that and says, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so it's not wrong for us to ask for that which we're not certain of, as long as we return to a place of recognizing that in the end, God, I desire your will and your glory more than my own. Yeah, that's right. It, if your prayer 
is starting with, if only God would do this so that I can do that, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here with praying with certainty or for what, you know, things like that. You should start your prayer first with what the Lord wants and then, you know, seek, you know, that which, you, like Matt was saying, that we know to be certain. Never should you come from a place of trying to manipulate God. You can't do it. It's not, this is, prayers aren't magical spells right. that cause God to react. So don't think of it in that aspect. Yeah, and and here's here's the thing. If all you ever pray for is that which you're uncertain of, you are going to be sure to lose sight of what you can be certain of. I, I guarantee it. And and you are going to be sure to lose faith that your prayers do anything. And so uh, I, one of the things that we put on the screen on Sunday was the answer to the question what has God promised to give and maybe you're not aware of that and I want to challenge you if you're not aware of what God's promised to give you need to read your Bible Um, you need to read your Bible and specifically ask the question what has God already promised to give his people what is already promised the first one out of the gate in that is salvation in John chapter 3 Verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God has promised salvation to those who believe. It's not a, oh, uh, they might have salvation if they believe and they do enough. Is if you genuinely surrender your life to Christ and believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, there is a promise of salvation and eternity with God in, in, in heaven. Um, wisdom. There's another one. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must not uh, doubt, but he must ask in faith. And, and so that's significant. God's promised to give you wisdom. If you go to him and you genuinely believe that he's going to give you wisdom. Um, direction, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We talked about that a little bit ago. Uh, peace, Philippians 4. There's this whole list that the the Apostle Paul writes that you need to think about these things. And when you think about these things, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever, there's anything is, is, is of any praise. You think about these things, and then it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. Um, so that we could comfort those with the same comfort with which we've been comforted. Um, rest, Matthew 11, Jesus himself said, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy, uh, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Um, escape, in 1 Corinthians 10, he not only uh, doesn't give us, uh, allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but he always gives us a way of escape in every temptation we face. And then justice. God is a God of justice, and he's promised to bring about justice for the wrongs committed. So these are just a handful of promises that we can see throughout Scripture, uh, and there's so many more. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that all of that leads back to the ultimate promise of God, the one that we should be concerned with the most, and that is salvation. Yeah. And... John does a great job, uh, like you said, in John three sixteen and 17, 
of what that looks like. But one of my favorite passages thinking about that is 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, it's 3 through 7. And here we find the Apostle Paul. This first line gets married time. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Think of that. First importance. This He's saying this is the primary thing. This is the prime directive. This is what you need to be concerned with. Of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I mean, that... When you think of that, the implication of how he said that, of first importance, he's saying, of everything that I tell you, Christ crucified. This is the most important thing, that Christ died on a cross for you and for the rest of us. All you've got to do is accept that free gift. And that's that's the number one thing that we need to understand that God has promised us. That is what we are concerned with first and foremost. And then the rest of it, like a puzzle, falls into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're if you're someone who is just in a distressing situation and you don't know where to turn, our desire is that you would find your greatest source of comfort, peace, and hope in the Lord because we can't give it to you. Um, no man and nothing of this world will satisfy that deep-rooted yearning for something greater uh, that can only be satisfied in the Lord. And so... How do you pray when you're in a distressing situation? Uh, we want to encourage you, seek the Lord honestly. He already knows your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. He's aware of the challenges that sin brings about, and that's why he sent his son. So be honest with him about where you are. And then pause for a minute and and fixate. Fix your eyes on who he is, on what he has already done. Where has he already been faithful in your life? And in the lives of others. Where have you seen him work already that maybe you've lost sight of? And then fixate on what he's promised. What is he promised to do already? And root into those things and find your confidence, your strength, your source of hope going into the rest of that season in those things. That that's what we would desire for you. It's it's all about oh it's all about his mission and his will and glory to his name. And uh we want you to be able to find rest for your souls, and we believe that that can only happen through Christ. Um, so I just want to pray as we close for those of you who are in challenging situations um, and you're just in a season of distress or anxiety or, uh, or, or hardship or trial right now, and that you would find comfort in the Lord. Father, thank you for the way that you come alongside of us in our weakness and Lord we recognize that you said your power is made perfect in weakness and that's simply because at our weakest state we uh, are dependent on you most and so I pray for those listening to this who are just in a season of difficulty that you would give them strength today to step into this recognizing who you are and what you've done and what you've promised and that that would give them a hope to navigate this season and that others would see that and would see a joy in them in the midst of difficulty and that they go, man, I want that. I want that joy. And that they would have opportunity to just share the hope of Christ with them. Father, thank you for the redemption you've given us in Christ and uh, the, the, the hope of eternity that cannot be changed by any circumstance of this world. Uh, May we root further into that and fixate on these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.